Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here. Rhino. Oh yeah, less than two weeks away from Santa Claus. That's hard to believe. That Time flies are. when you're having fun. Yeah, unusually, Christmas. And New Year's on Sunday as the day of the week. That's a little weird, isn't it? Can't remember last time that happened. Uh, and it has prompted the bowl game schedule to feature the, the traditional New Year's Day bowls on Monday the 2nd because the 1st, on Sunday, conflicts with the National Football League. Yeah, according to the Google box, this is the last time Christmas will fall on a Sunday until 2033. Wow. Okay. Well, that makes sense. The uh, big news in the state of Mississippi, and to a great extent across the nation, concerns uh, Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach. We really don't know a lot at this point other than that he is in care at uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center, rushed down there yesterday, feeling ill at his home in Starkville. And that's really about all we know at this point. Would you say that's true as well, Rhino? I mean, I don't know any other details other than that. Uh, besides that he is in, or was last reported to be in critical condition, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of details that have been released. Yeah, and I know our colleague Brian Haydad, co-host of Sports Talk and Thunder and Lightning, focusing on Mississippi State athletics, produced a show yesterday, as I recall, live, right? Some of my Mississippi State friends were tuned into it on their phones while we were at Annadale playing golf. So I'm not sure we know anything more than that. We'll, we'll pass on any updates as we receive them, but we certainly are concerned, and we want, on behalf of this show, 
we and this network, we want the Leach family, the entire Mississippi State nation, the players, the fans, the coaching staff, the administration, etc., to know that we are praying for the coach. We are concerned. And we're thinking about uh, him and his family in particular. But this is a time when you set aside rivalries. We come together as Mississippians, as human beings, the way it should be. And I've seen so much public display of concern across the spectrum of the great state of Mississippi because Mississippians are just good people. They care. You know, the rivalries on the field, that's kind of like inside the family squabbles. You get outside the family, and we're all together in this situation. Certainly, we're all together pulling for the full recovery and return to good health for the coach. And He's just a good person on top of that. And his, his humor, his quips, they're legendary, for sure. And Yeah, it's hard not to like somebody as candid as he is. Exactly. Need more of that, don't we? In, in those in the public eye like that, we need more of that. Whether it's, it's coaches, po- politicians, political leaders, elected officials, corporate leaders, all the above... I think Americans yearn for what you're talking about there, Rhino. They just want somebody just to be candid, just cut through all the fog and lay it on the line, and he does that every day. No matter where he's been, you look at his history as a coach, he's always been that way. I think that's why he's been such a favorite. And we're blessed to have him here in the state of Mississippi. So wanted to pass that on. The school officially, I guess, Rhino terms it as personal health issues, I think, is the official communication from Mississippi State. And I'm sure there will be, if there isn't already, that I just haven't seen reporting from sources, but I would join our colleague in radio, Brian Haydad, in saying to hold off, especially on social media, don't hit that retweet button. Don't hit that share button on Facebook unless it is coming from Mississippi State. Because if it comes from Mississippi State, you can be guaranteed that it's coming from the Leach family. Um, there's a there's been a ton of speculation. There's been a ton of scuttlebutt. There's been a lot of misinformation. And uh, as someone who has been on the other side as a family member being called in. When something serious happens medically, I cannot imagine what that would be like for his family. Man. Especially with the way information travels around the world as fast as it does, including wrong information and misinformation. I would just say hold up and and wait for official word on anything. Totally true. Thank you for that, Rhino. Absolutely true. And it's it's always difficult anytime you've got an illness of someone that is in the public eye like that 
just keeping the communication straight, timely, accurate, and respecting those who should be releasing any form of communication whatsoever, and heeding that as the official source and not jumping the gun on anything whatsoever, regardless of the situation. So thank you for that, Rhino. That's absolutely spot on. I was very, on the ceasefire text line, Ben from Madison, I was very sad to hear the news about Coach Leach. I'm praying for Coach Leach and all his loved ones through this difficult time. Thank you for that, Ben. Oh, we, on the ceasefire text line, Chad from Van Cleve, we know you are an, an Ole Miss fan. Sincere thank you for the shout-out to Leach class, says Chad. Well, and appreciate that, Chad. And I, you know, first, I'm a Mississippian and a human being, and uh, but I do appreciate that, and it uh, it doesn't even warrant any thanks, honestly. It's that's just the way it should be. Good grief, but I but I do appreciate it, Chad. Um, I just don't want to call attention to that. It's it's not anything special in my view. It's the way we I think all should respond and react when someone is ill like this. And we want to see a full and complete recovery. Hey, I'm a Johnny Red, Blue and Red, but come on, Coach Leach, get well on the ceasefire text line. Rhett and Ridgeland says one of his first coaching jobs was at one of many alma maters, tiny college of the desert. Interesting. Haven't had anyone that candid says says Ronald Reagan since pardon me since Ronald Reagan says Darren and Jackson. That's a that's pretty. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty accurate analysis. I would say there, Darren. I I miss the days of the Dutch as well, who very much was a candid communicator. I think that's why he was so beloved and so respected. He too was just direct and succinct, did not beat around the proverbial bush. And the same could be said of Coach Leach. I would say he's similar in that respect. And it's been fun watching he and and Coach Kiffin. They're different, but there's a lot of similarities there, and I would submit that saying what's on your mind and speaking your mind in a in an honest way is uh, ingrained in both individuals personality so it's it's been kind of neat to observe that as a Mississippian and as a uh, a fan of college football we're blessed to have them in our state but at this time we are particularly concerned about Coach Leach, and I ask all of our audience to take a moment and offer up a prayer on his behalf and that of his family in his time of need. We'll step aside for a break right here in the Element Wealth Studios. In fact, we've got Jeremy Nelson, a partner at Element Wealth, joining us at 11.05. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Rhett in Ridgeland says, Today I learned that his first coaching job was a rugby coach for four years at BYU. Were you aware of that, Ryan? I, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was a BYU, but yeah, I had heard that he had rugby? to start doing not football. I didn't know it was okay. rugby. You know, he, he certainly, I think to a great extent, could be credited to the kind of wide-open passing style of football that is more prevalent, certainly at the college level, where honestly, the running game consists of short, low-risk passes to various athletes and just let them go. And now everybody does that virtually. When's the last time you saw a quarterback under center? Don't see that very often, the old I formation or T formation. And that drives some traditionalists crazy. Yeah. Because if it's fourth and inches, why are you in shotgun? Why are you putting that many yards between the ball and the line of scrimmage? I, I tend to agree. I wonder that as well. Let's go backwards about four yards before we go forward five, right? Yeah. It worked out for what's-his-face. I didn't watch the game, but yesterday in the NFL there was a fumble recovery or something, and he traced. He went backwards about 20 yards to squirt through and, and make it. <laughs> it's just cha- it's changed the look of the game totally. What happened to fullbacks? We don't have fullbacks anymore, do we? Every once in a while, you'll see one on a roster, and you go, wow, what do you do during practice? <laughs> play play um, scout team linebacker. That's what they do. Today at this moment, we are all pirates, says Ken in West Point on the C Spire text line. Join the conversation, 601-879-4395. Appreciate that, Ken, and totally agree. What was it he said about... Halloween, about candy corn, something like that. Remember that? It's kind of funny. I think he said he doesn't eat candy corn. Is that right? Is that what you remember? Hmm. I think it was after the Vandy game last year. He was talking about Halloween candy, yeah. Okay, last year. Don't forget, uh, this coming Wednesday, folks, middays, we're going to be live at Mississippi Blood Services at the Treetops Boulevard location. That's off of Lakeland Drive in Flowood. We're going to be there to help Mississippi Blood Services celebrate the season of giving. Give the gift of life. Donate on that day or today, any day. And when you donate this week, you will receive either an embossed knit beanie or campfire mug while supplies last. So that's where we're going to be. And then Friday, I'm traveling down to the hub city of Hattiesburg. We'll be at the Corner Market. Looking forward to that. Right inside the grocery store, and I'm about 30 feet away from that deli. And let me tell you, that food looks good at that deli. It's like pain to watch that for three hours, everyone enjoying themselves, feasting on the delicacies while I'm talking. Oh, yeah, it's easy to get dehydrated because your mouth's watering. <laughs> but they're always good and invite me to have a plate, which I always enjoy before I'm out of there. So we'll be there. And then next week we're at Carter Jewelers on Wednesday the 21st. 
and Friday the 23rd in advance of Christmas, which is Sunday the 25th. So I will be on the road four times, uh, and that'll wrap up the year for remotes. I don't know how many we did, but it was a bunch. I think we did 34 in 21. I believe we exceeded that number in 22 by a few. So, Getting closer and closer to normal. Yeah. After the year that was 2020. <laughs> yeah, where we were all holed up. We didn't even have guests in here in the studio. Remember that? For a while. Out of an abundance of caution. Jeez. In the meantime, speaking of COVID and lockdowns and restrictions, well, Elon Musk took a bit of a shot at Dr. Anthony to lock him up forever and throw away the key Fauci, did he not? He went right after him. He ain't playing around. What did he say? My pronoun? What did he tweet? My pronouns are prosecute Fauci or something to that effect. He is not playing around. What are we at? Like round four of the Twitter expose? Yeah, I'm just going to wait for all of it to come out, and then I'll get through it in a in one big long binge. I'm, I'm not a big fan of slow rolling this for the drama. It Especially does. when you roll it out on like a Saturday night. Right. Dude, that's the. If you're trying to bury it, that's when you bury it. If it's not a Saturday night, it's a Friday afternoon right before 5 o'clock. So, yeah. Musk may be a genius in some respects, but as far as PR, he seems to fall short. Does it not, though, appear, just thinking through this this morning, this is more about him just trying to call attention to himself because as, since he's bought Twitter, certainly he's been in the news more than perhaps in, it, in his entire career prior, just as the CEO of EV automaker Tesla. But with Twitter, he is thrust into the limelight what appears to be 724. And I think he's enjoying this kind of slow release, this spoon-feeding, this teasing of, of this trove of info and discovery as to how that place was operating, which appears to be not very well, not that we were confused. And I'll say this, I believe it's because Jack Dorsey, the founder, CEO of the social media giant, was incompetent. An absentee. And it was a situation where his lieutenants, management, pretty much were running with free reign. And even though a lot of folks maybe don't buy into Dorsey saying, I didn't know various things were going on, I actually do because I think he was that uninvolved, that disinterested, that incompetent, that absentee. Now, from a business perspective, and as a public company, from a fiduciary perspective, he's breached his obligations, in my view. Yeah, the, the buck stops with him in those roles. Yeah, I'm not making excuses for him or, or condoning it. 
I'm just opining that I've always thought he was just a terrible business operator. And I think that Elon discovered that. And it also appears that perhaps he was misled, that they misrepresented, say it ain't so, right, that there was all this shadow banning and blacklisting and de-amplification stuff going on where, where they were, management was targeting conservative accounts for that sort of de-amplification activity. I think they misrepresented that. And that could result literally in a lawsuit where the buyer has a claim against the seller. They call them reps and warranties. It's kind of the short-term language. It's the big-money version of you bought a lemon. That's pretty much right. And so you rely on, I mean, you can't possibly do due diligence in advance on everything. So you complete the transaction. And I don't know about the terms here. Typically, there's a, there's a holdback. There's an escrow. And you don't release that escrow until you have done further due diligence post-sale. And I wonder if there, we might not see a lawsuit out of all this deal. But I personally think that Elon needs to be a little careful. I'm not telling him how to run the business there. Lord knows he's pretty successful at that. But it just looks like he's uh, investing a great deal of his cycles in Twitter and not in Tesla. And Tesla's far from just being on autopilot as a company, as a viable, successful, profitable business. He says, however, he's got good management in place. They just don't need him as much. Maybe not. That's hard to say. I say that you're in a business like that where change is constant. You need to be paying attention to it as well as the chief executive of the company. But it just seems like he's pretty enthused about Twitter and is not going to give up on spending his time there. Coming back with more here on Midday. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. The ceasefire tax line 601-879-4395. So this CEO here in the state of Mississippi, the CEO of Express Grain Terminals, John R. Coleman, he has appeared before the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of Mississippi. He is accused of 
defrauding a business which led to grain shortage in the Delta. You remember, we were all over this story, I think it was earlier this year, as I recall. Uh, he's also accused of lying about the amount of debt he owed. And I, I know that this was a, a deep concern to the farmers that he owed this money to that sell their grain, their yield, uh, to the Express Grain Terminals Company. And I'm not sure if they ever recovered, if there's any money available to pay them what they are due. But the latest is that, and there's a story done by reporter here at Supertalk, Alyssa Arbuckle, but there's a story on the Supertalk Mississippi Media website that goes into some degree of detail. But remember that he basically lied about their assets. I'm not sure how that passed muster with the financial institutions that were carrying him and the company, but they did. Let's just hope that the farmers get what they are due. That's the main most thing there. But wanted to pass that on. Danielle in Oxford says, I can see Elon expanding Twitter to include a new alternative to YouTube after getting all this Twitter nonsense taken care of. Possibly, Danielle. Well, you saw the the latest scuttlebutt on changes to Twitter. What's that? That they're going to raise the character limit from what is now currently 280 which is, I believe, double what it was in the beginning of 140. Right. They're going to increase that to 4,000 characters. Mm, wow. I don't see that really working the way he's intending it to, but hey, what more power to him. It's his toy to play with. I still say... It's needs- kind of the appeal of Twitter. It's a micro-blog. Right. It was the whole selling point. Right. Versus you, Facebook. You have to... Put thought and effort into condensing your thoughts down to a certain limit. Then you end up with lots of very creative quips, essentially. Ted Cruz, if you follow him, the senator from the great state of Texas, he's uh, sort of known for these one-word tweets. And he'll usually attach, you know, a story or a photo or something Two is one word tweet, but it's one word. It's kind of known for that. And it's effective because you don't, you're not reading a book there, just one word. I mean, I know it's only tangentially related because it's, it's still in the world of tech, but mm-hmm. if you look at the, the, the video game sphere of influence in pop culture, yeah, and you look at the way video games had to be crafted. In the early days of like arcades, or especially the early days of, of home video consoles, like the Atari and the original Nintendo and stuff like that, the limitations of the hardware That's right. required a level of creativity that just doesn't exist anymore in, in video games. Yeah, you can make a video game now that looks like you're playing in the real world, and it's got infinite colors and infinite pixels and it it looks photorealistic but there's a a bit of character that's lost 
because you're not having to force this big idea into this 8-bit cartridge. It's absolutely true, and, and honestly, that, that scenario, that dynamic, has been around since the beginning of computers where you had the two different disciplines, right? You had the hardware technology, the software technology, the software developers were limited to the capabilities of the hardware, typically processor, internal memory, external storage, and you had to develop software within those constraints. And what I've watched through my career is that every time the hardware would get more powerful, more capabilities, the developers, kind of like closets, they'd fill those up too. Where's the, We need more! And they'd create more, and they'd fill those up. It's a, and it's what drives innovation. It's a constant, really pretty cool cat-and-mouse game. But you're absolutely right. Now, developers, for the most part, you don't concern yourself with that. used to be, oh man, i got to make this code fit within these constraints of the instruction set, the internal real memory versus external offline storage. And yeah, you're, you're spot on on that. And, and maybe this is a similar scenario. I still say, just in response to Danielle here, and, and Danielle could be right. Maybe his plans are to expand into other, other social media platforms and, and types of media. Well, he has said he wants to turn Twitter into your one-stop shop for everything you need on the Internet. And that could be true. But what I think, it, again, this is just my opinion, my observation, he, at this point, seems to be more focused on the interface, the experience of the platform, and not enough on how do we make money at this deal? How do we make it more viable? more successful, more profitable. So here, here's the dilemma, as an example, that I'll share. The free speech situation. It, are there, should there be any limitations, right? And if so, who determines what's appropriate, what should not be published on the platform, and what, and what shouldn't? Well, now we know from the release that uh, Elon has has completed since he's been in charge, things I think most of us on the right felt were happening. It's kind of back to the subject of conspiracy theories. I, it was a theory, no doubt, that there were perhaps government operatives and other powerful people outside of management at the company that were, in fact, influencing exactly what to limit, shadow ban, de-amplify, specific to content and Twitter users. Absolutely. So now that's been proven, I think, essentially, from the information that... Evidence has been provided. Yes, which looks pretty credible at this point, right? And now we're learning Michelle Obama possibly involved during the 2020 campaign. Uh, about Trump content, was influential in banning Trump uh, eventually and so forth, which was after the election, of course. But back to where I was going. So now you've got some of these white supremacy and Nazi content users and sites popping up on Twitter. 
And what's happening is the advertising algorithms are placing ads for organizations that really don't support or condone those organizations and their missions. Their ads are ending up in the towers on their pages and, and so forth. And that's a problem. And so now some of them are pulling their ads. Again, that's how you make money. You need those ads. So Washington Post says that they saw some ads alongside white supremacist posts on pages with names like No White Guilt Clips and White Power Ranger. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services told the Washington Post that it would be pulling its ad from Twitter because, quote, having it appear on hateful Twitter channels is inconsistent with its values, end quote. USA Today said it would be contacting Twitter, Twitter as this obviously does not align with its values and mission. So I'm just honestly just commenting on the economic, financial, viable business aspect of this, you need these companies. You may not agree with USA Today and Washington Post and others, but you need their advertising dollars to make this whole deal work. I don't think you can rely solely on just organizations that align with this sort of content. Honestly. Or $8 a month for a blue check. Correct. That ain't going to pay the bills either and produce a profit. So it's it's a tough one. It's a dilemma. No doubt about it. Tom Petty bumping us out of this segment. Another one in this hour of middays. We've got Jeremy Nelson with Element Wealth joining us at 11.05. Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews at 12.05 because it's a Monday. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back, Super Talk Mississippi, middays. Carolyn Starkville said, I wish I had heard this earlier about the coach I was dealing this weekend with putting my dog Bo down Saturday from Cushing's disease. I pray for Coach Leach and his family. Sorry about the loss of your dog there, Carol. I we talked about uh, that similar experience Thanksgiving night we had our beloved dog black lab brute we had to put down we're still pretty sad about that sorry about that william and greenville says i heard that yesterday saw kinds of rumors going around so we have some official communication talking about coach leach from mississippi state university you want to share that rhino yeah the uh, latest statement released by mississippi state says and i quote Mississippi State University head football coach Mike Leach remains in critical condition at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. 
Mike's family is with him and appreciates the overwhelming expressions of love and support for the coach, but also requests that their family's privacy be respected at this time. This is the extent of information that MSU has available regarding Coach Leach's condition, and the university will make no other comment at this time. MSU will issue additional information via social media when it becomes available. Got you. Okay, so appreciate that update, Rhino. So I can't find it now, but somebody on the – we were talking about Elon Musk, and just my opinion that he needs to concern himself with – making the company as profitable as it can be as well. And and maybe he's got a strategy for that. I just haven't seen it. And he does have a fiduciary responsibility in that respect, and he certainly does to Tesla shareholders. Somebody here said, and I can't find it now, but this basically said, hey, you know, he paid a lot for it. He can do whatever he wants. He sort of He sort of earned his right to handle it. However, I can't find it now, Rhino. I'm sorry about that, but um, probably scrolled by. But that's true, but something that is, is worth noting is that the $44 billion that, uh, with the purchase price for Twitter, that's not all from Elon Musk. In fact, the, uh, the financing consisted of about $13 billion of debt that's owed to Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and there's a couple of other banks as well. But just those two are in for $13 billion. Then you've got a number of private equity firms. There it is from Chris from Oxford on the ceasefire okay. text line. Appreciate that. He may be doing that, Gerard. But God knows he paid for the right to do it. Okay, I got you. So, just, so what I'm saying here, Chris, is that it's not just his money. He owes banks $13 billion, right? He's got Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison and Saudi Prince Awalid Ben Talal. I hope I pronounced that correctly. They're in for $7.1 billion. You've got Sequoia Capital, Apollo Global, a firm I had the honor of pitching years ago. They're um, one of the biggest and most prestigious private equity groups on Wall Street. They pulled out. So did Sixth Street Partners. They pulled out. So as far as his stake is concerned, the first thing he did was convert his 9.6% share of equity in Twitter, his stake. That was worth $4 billion, his personal $4 billion of Twitter stock. So he made that commitment, and about $25 billion uh, of, of other, from other sources did Musk. So only point I'm making is there's a lot of other people that are involved in this as well, just besides him, and he's got a responsibility there to take care of their money and, frankly, to work diligently and professionally to produce the return that is expected that was discussed as part of them making those investments or lending him money. Sequoia Capital, Binance, Qatar Investment Authority that controls Qatar's Sovereign Wealth Fund, 
they've all committed. <laughs> They're all in on this deal. So it's a it's not unusual. You've got a, just a big syndicated number of investors, typically on something like this. No one company, unless it's an absolute sure thing, wants all of it. They're willing to come in for some of it, and that's what you got here. Combination of debt and equity. So uh, Vi Capital's in for $700 million, AH Capital, $400 million, Alia Capital, three hundred sixty. Qatar Holding, Fidelity Management, $360. So it's, it's not unusual. But he's got a responsibility and an obligation to them as well. That's, that's all we're trying to say here. It's time for a break here with the news coming up next on Middays. When we return, Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Wealth Studios. And joining us now is Jeremy Nelson, partner with Element Wealth in the Element Wealth Studios. Jeremy, good to see you. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we're just taking a look at the markets today. Haven't even talked about that. Uh, the Dow up 291, NASDAQ up uh, less than 100, S&P 21 points at the current reading. What's going on today to drive the markets? Any news? Nothing. I mean, right, yeah. right. It's 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 a quiet period. Everyone's kind of waiting to see is the forecast of the of fifty basis points right, or is the Fed going to surprise the market and do seventy five? I mean, most are in the the fifty basis point camp, which is where we are. You know, I, I think that they want to um, begin to you know slow down here. Uh, this is just kind of creating a base in the market right now. Yeah. Well, and we've also got CPI out tomorrow, mm-hmm. 8.30 our yep. time, I believe, yep. right? Yep. So we had the PPI last week, and it sent the market downward because it was hotter than expected. The producer price index, of course, the cost of mm-hmm. inputs, uh, sort of the wholesale yep. uh, reading, if you will. Tomorrow is more the retail reading, the CPI. Yeah, and with inflation, what we see is that the inflation peaked in the summer. Um, it's going to be bumpy on the way back down but we're we're very very convinced that we've seen the the peak inflation that's coming down yeah i i think so too and of course uh like it or not the fed's goal is to is to push people out of a job and we've seen some shedding of jobs and announcements even goldman sachs a couple of weeks ago said we're gonna let jobs some jobs go yeah what you're seeing is a bit of a, a white collar recession in jobs yeah, exactly right? uh, but there's still major shortages in your more traditional blue collar jobs right. that are out there so uh, you know overall the labor market's still strong you've got a, a really low unemployment rate um, that unemployment rate will likely tick up a little bit as we see more and more you know, these tech and financial firms, you know, cutting their workforce. Uh, ultimately, that's a good thing for these businesses, though, right? I mean, they kind of got fat. We talked about this a, a few weeks ago. They're, yeah. they're, they're trimming the fat. Um, ultimately, it'll be good for them long term. 
Yeah. So we were talking off air. Where, where do you see? So here, here's a possible scenario. Get you to comment on it. There, I think most economists now, if, if there is such a, a consensus among economists, say first half of the year don't expect it to be too rosy. Second half we might see a fairly strong uh, bull market, but first half of the year as we sort of flush through the the interest rates. Uh, maybe tamping down capital investment, consumer spending, and so forth. Could be a little rocky for the markets, but there's still a bunch of cash out there looking for a home. How do you see it playing out? Well, it's interesting because if if you look at the pre-election year, the third year of the election cycle, it actually tends to be very strong in the first part of the year and then kind of flat in in the latter part of the year. It is going to hinge on the economy. Um, you you just generally don't see a recession, though, before the Fed is done hiking rates. Consensus is that the Fed is going to end in March, right? So they're going to go 50, 25 on February 1, 25 in March. Um, and And then you would probably see more recessionary pressures. We had talked about seeing recessionary pressures maybe later in the year. I'm moving that forward a little bit closer to maybe the the halfway point of the year or so. I think there's a 75% probability that you do get a recession next year. It'll likely be probably pretty mild. So I can see the case where you actually you, you have a strong first quarter then it starts to slow down, get a little rough, uh, before you get a year-end rally. Hmm. Interesting. So, of course, when you talk about recession, the classic definition, two consecutive quarters of contracting GDP. Uh, but that, that there's varying degrees of that. We're not talking about any major pullback in your view, are we? Uh, no, I, I think what you're going to kind of get is a is a year where GDP is kind of down half a percent to up half a percent okay. when it's all when it's all said and done. Okay. Um, and like this year, you know, consensus is that we we have not been in a recession. Um, there was just some funky stuff going on with net exports and inventories and stuff in that first in the first half of the year. We had a strong Q3. We're going to have a reasonable Q4. Um, so again, I, I don't see us going from a reasonable, from a strong Q3 and a reasonable Q4 into a recession in Q1. Yeah, I think the reason, uh, and get your take on this, that most people really aren't discussing the recession concept too much is you you typically associate that with significant loss of jobs. You think yes. about high unemployment. We're not experiencing that. Corporate profits are up, and you've got an unemployment rate below four percent. Yeah. That's not, That's a, recession. not a recession, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but GDP may pull back. We may have a couple of quarters of that. That possibly could spook the market a yeah. little bit. But I don't know. I, I think the big thing that investors should be watching and, and paying attention to is is corporate earnings, right? And that's where you know as we're going into next year, consensus expectations that operating earnings are going to be up thirteen, fourteen percent. Hmm. That might be a little rosy. Mm, that sounds high. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, we got to think we're in for a pretty significant bull market. Well, that and and exactly and and so you you've got consensus estimates 
at 13 14% earnings growth but then everyone's talking about us going into this big recession mm. those two things don't <laughs> jive <laughs> don't well uh, CEOs of the two of the largest banks in the country Bank of America and JP Morgan they certainly don't align on their outlook whatsoever JP Diamond uh, CEO of um, uh, J.P. Morgan, J- Jamie Dime, excuse me, CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan, he comes out and says, I think it's going to be bad. Now, but he's been saying this for months. He has. Right. And yeah. now, look, Jamie Dimon, best bank CEO out there. No doubt. I mean, no no doubt about it. Um, when he speaks, yeah, I, I listen. No doubt. Um, again, I, I'm a little more in the Moynihan from Bank of America, mm-hmm. where I, I see a mild recession. I don't see a catastrophic recession, um, but time time will tell who's right there. Yeah, and J, uh, Jamie Morgan also warned against uh, rising fuel prices. He says we're not out of the woods on this deal yet. He said that. In, fa- in fact, he said it would endure for a long time. I, I, I totally agree with that. I um, One of the, the themes um, that we're looking at in our kind of forecast coming up here for next year, is focusing on on physical, not digital. Okay. And, and and I th- and I think that you know energy and all and 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 physical assets are 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 critical. Uh, it's going to be a, a better place to invest than digital next year. Yeah. Now a lot of folks out there are looking at their four hundred one k plans and their nest eggs and they're and they're concerned. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? Well, what I would say is kind of what we going back months. What we've been saying said, "Hey, don't don't hit the panic button." Well, look where we are today. We're 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 way up. Um, be diversified, right? So the reason that four hundred one ks are down as much as they're down right now, you know, stocks are down sixteen percent or so on the year. That's not crazy. That's not totally unusual for stocks, but diversified portfolios are down about the same because interest rates have gone up, bonds have gone down. Yeah. As we go into next year, bonds become ballast in the portfolio. So a diversified portfolio holds up much better, hmm. right? Okay. Um, so if you got half in bonds, half in, in stocks, what I would say is probably keep the fixed income a little more high quality versus credit sensitive, like high yield and things that are correlated to the stock market. If you're investment grade corporate or or mortgages, treasuries, things like that, that's going to provide ballast in your portfolio. Hmm. Um, I I wouldn't go into next year just full on all tilt bullish, uh, but I also wouldn't go into it completely bearish. I think right now is a good time to be diversified, right? This is why we diversify. And I think on a longer term basis, beginning to tilt towards value, maybe some mid-cap where there's relative longer-term value is a good place to be. Yeah, uh, so the question is, when we when we are led to the next bull market, which is going to happen, mm-hmm. is it going to be tech-led value or is it going to be value stocks? Is it going to be growth stocks, tech stocks, typically in that category? That kind of led us to where we are. Is that what's going to happen? I, 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 I do not see tech leading in the way that it has led for the last decade. All right. We are up against a break right here. You can hang around yep. with us. We'll Absolutely. talk some more. Uh, we'll we maybe do a little uh, bit of chatting 
on fiscal policy and tax policy. Cause My favorite. That's coming up here. Yep. So we're yep. coming right back in the Element Well Studios with Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Well. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. Right. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Let's do My older brother Tommy was a lineman, rest of soul. His job was hanging hot wires on them high line power pole. Every morning, bright and early. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Element Wealth Studios. Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, our guest, just talking about the economy, markets, finance, etc. So, one of the things that I've talked about on the program, Jeremy, that's not getting a lot of attention right now, is the individual provisions of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, also known as the Trump tax cuts. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably how it's better known. The individual provisions expire at the end of 2025. Mm -hmm. Nothing essentially is going to happen between now and then, especially with the uh, Republicans controlling the House. Yep. And getting through. All right. So if in 2024, election year, Republicans don't control the House, the Senate, in the White House, this may be the biggest war that I don't think people are talking about we've ever seen in the Congress of the United States. Because the Democrats want to completely repeal the thing and replace it with a way more progressive tax system on a tax wealth, increased capital gains, everything individual related. That uh, and they also, of course, want to increase the uh, the threshold for deducting uh, state and local taxes, the so-called SALT deduction, mm-hmm. which affects mainly people in the high-tax blue coastal states. I don't think folks are talking about this enough. This could affect them. I know it's three years down the road, but if capital gains taxes go up, well, and some of the other provisions, that could be an issue. Yeah. So you're but. You're predicating that on the fact that we would be replacing it with a new proposal. Because yeah. if, if if all that happens is that it's repealed and we go back to what it was, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. That's not the end of the world, right? If you were to replace it though with you know the higher capital gains rates and you know, 40-plus percent, you know, top marginal rates and, and you know, tax, 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 tax yeah. on, on the wealthy, then, yeah, that, that does become a problem because it starts to hit consumption significantly. So that does begin to hit GDP in, in a big way. Yeah. But, but if it just repeals back to what it was, then it, that's not that big of a deal. You don't think so? Like the pass-through provisions I find to be fairly significant. 
So the 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 QBI deduction is really good for you know small business owners. Sure. Um, look, I, I think tax attorneys will do very well <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you know you got opportunities with arbitrage between C corps and S corps and all those sorts of things uh, uh, that that they can use there. But in general, you know it doesn't have that big of an impact on the average. Okay. Wage earner. I hope you're right. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I, and I think you may be right in terms of the average wage earner, but certainly from uh, if you look at the, the higher end of the income scale and you look at investing in portfolios there, how that might impact markets, which could have an impact on the average wage earner, yeah, of but course, I, I, savings. I, I think there, look, and I, I want low, lower taxes sure. and less government spending. That's yeah. That's what I want. But you have to go back and look at, you know, how did the economy do, how did markets do back when rates were where they were, which they would revert to, and it yeah. wasn't catastrophic. No, I, I would agree with that. That's why I say it's, it's, a, it's a small net negative, but it's not a catastrophic situation. Okay. We, we shall see. Yeah. But uh, what I'd like to see is uh, making them permanent, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think overall it's a fairly good structure. And... You know, the Democrats won't ad- admit it, those who oppose the TCJA. It actually is more progressive. It took people off the tax roll. Well, I, I, think the, I think the number one best thing about it was for the, for the average American taking the standard deduction up to $12,000, $24,000 for a husband and wife. I mean, that was big. Right. And that it's increased big. since then yeah, because of the because indexing of, and yeah. so forth, yeah. But, I mean, that, to me, it just simplified the whole no process, doubt. was was great for, you know, for the average American. And I, I think it would be a shame to get rid of that. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, it certainly simplified the tax preparation process. Most people don't itemize because they don't have, if they're a, a couple, mm-hmm. married, filing, joint, they don't have $24,000 yeah. of itemized deductions. Yeah. Well, they might but, now with mortgage interest rates. Yeah, at the rate that's going. So uh, so where do you see – let's talk about that. Where do you see the trajectory of rates? Most are saying, as, as you indicated in the last segment, half a point this month. Uh, that's that's going to – we're waiting for that Wednesday, I think, yep. right? Yeah, yep. Fed, uh, Powell will give us the word there. And then maybe two or three quarter point hikes in the first quarter, first half, as you indicated. Yep. Are they going to pivot after that? I mean, will will we see enough of a slowdown where they say, okay, we got to pull back? I think they pause. I would not expect any rate cuts until September. Okay, okay. Well, that could be um, that could be significant when even then a hint of that the markets take off. Well, if, if so, if they pause and inflation is coming down and breaking below 5%, yeah. then then effectively, you know, if the Fed funds rates at 5% and inflation's breaking below that, then Fed policy is actually very very tight at that point in time. Yeah. Um so it'll be interesting to see how quickly they react and adjust back down. I I think that they're going to keep it up there a little while longer. And that's why largely why we think there's a 75% chance of a recession next yeah. year. I would agree. So uh, something else we talked about last time you were here, it's worth uh, uh, discussing again, the opportunities with uh, traditional fixed income securities that we hadn't had until now. It's been zero for the most part. Well, so so think about this. So I was sitting there pouring through research reports. You know, we're getting ready for our, our annual forecast. We're kind of setting up positioning for next year. And I'm, I'm reading, you know, Ned Davis' research and um, – 
their year-end estimate is 4300 on the S&P 500 for next year. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's 7 8% up from where we are today. Well, I can get 5% on a two-year corporate bond. Yeah. Right? And, and so at this point, I really believe that the greatest opportunity is probably in, in fixed income. And it's an area where people are shying away from because they they just lost money this year. Uh, but to me, it's presented, you know, a really safe alternative uh, and and a good diversification piece in portfolios. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, certainly it's better than zero. I mean, so now you can actually park your money and not do anything and just on T-bills make 4 or 5%. Yeah, as a, as a portfolio manager, I mean the fact that we've actually got some some income coming off yeah. the fixed income. I mean yeah. it just makes our lives so much easier because you're not having to stretch and find riskier and riskier assets to get yield in the portfolio and then get waxed in a COVID or or, or this year. That's a good point. And uh, corporate grade uh, bonds as well, mm-hmm. opportunity and dividends. Yep. Yeah, look, I, and and that's why from a, from a stock allocation, kind of why we favor value is with the inflation, we think that companies that actually make money and pay dividends are going to be able to increase those dividends. Okay, which is going to make them more and more and more attractive. This could be a period like that two thousand and three to two thousand seven, right? Where um, you know, look, growth companies were making money; they were doing well, but value continued to significantly outperform yeah. uh, in a much higher interest rate environment. And so, typically, just for the benefit of our audience, the industries that you would place in the category of value stocks. So, value stocks. I mean, you're going to largely see your utilities, um, financials, um, healthcare. Just healthcare. You know, healthcare can kind of be growth yeah. and value. There's, there's, you know, like pharma, and then there's, right. you know, like a United Healthcare. It's a little more of a growth company. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of just boring companies that <laughs> make stuff, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be a pretty good place to be. Hmm. Or companies that provide energy to you. You know, those are going to be good places to be. Yeah, it sure seems like. And speaking of energy, any crystal ball there where all that's going? So many factors. So many factors there. Um, Look, I mean, in the U.S., this administration has limited future production, right? So what they did didn't necessarily cause the prices to go up this year because that's it was future drilling that they were limiting. Um, but all those all of those uh, constraints on future supply support mm-hmm. higher prices in the future. And we don't know exactly where this Russia thing is going to go. We don't know how cold it's going to be in Europe this winter. Um, so I would I would not be selling energy here. I think that there's some uh, interesting room. To continue for higher prices. Yeah, we're still approaching the uh, the period where consumption demand mm-hmm. increases. And yep. We haven't really seen the impact of yep. that yet on yep. the rather tight supply. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Most of which is a function of fiscal policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Jeremy, always a pleasure, sir. Appreciate the insight. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you uh, soon. And let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for a so-called Santa Claus rally. Right? Uh, hey, that would that would be a great way to end the year. <laughs> Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, has been our guest here uh, in the Element Wealth studios on middays. We're coming right back. Stay with us. All right. Thanks.
You bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. It's Tom Petty Day. <laughs> there were a couple of them that were in, that were at risk of being deleted by the system, so I had to get them played. I don't think I've heard them. Forgotten me. Oh yeah. Okay. Keith Invaden says that man knows his money. I can tell you the difference between a five and a one dollar bill. <laughs> oh yeah, he does. That's his business. That's what he does for a living. And uh, I can honestly say that I am a satisfied customer. I'm a satisfied client of Element Wealth. I don't think it's a problem with me saying that. Uh, Jeremy has done a, an outstanding job uh, for me, and I really appreciate it. And I'm not smart enough to do it on my own. And so, of course, you guys know when you have a wealth manager like that that's taken care of, your investments, you, you pay a fee for that, but it's good grief. It's well worth it. It's a full-time job, obviously, and you've got to have the tools and the systems that uh, manage portfolios, and that's what they have. That's their business. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you think about, Rhino, something we've talked a lot on the program about is just disruption technology in particular, and how that's disrupted all facets of society. Well, it wasn't too long ago, relatively speaking, you wanted to trade stocks, you had to call a broker on the telephone and hope you get in touch with them, because they're busy with other folks, and tell them what trades to execute. And you paid significant fees for that. It was all manual, all paper. Well, think about today. You do that with this device in the palm of your hand, you don't pay anything. They all they all cancel the fees. Most of them, I don't know that any of them do. Who was it? Schwab that was the first that said no more transaction fees on trades. And then everybody, TD Ameritrade and all the other ones started following suit. So... And I think a lot of times you look at that sort of disruption and say, oh my gosh, what are the... We used to call them stockbrokers, right? Because that's what they did. They sat, they had seats on the exchange, sat between the customer, the consumer, and the exchanges. And they essentially executed trades on your behalf. Because the exchanges can't let everybody directly make those trades. Back in those days when it was done through messages and Bloomberg terminals and telephones. All those yellow vests and all those slips of paper and the shouting and all the hand signals that meant different things. That's right. In the pits. Uh, You know, perhaps most people got a pretty neat exposure to that and the great movie Trading Places. Oh, yeah. Which was commodities, but it's the same concept, same process. It wasn't stocks. It was a commodities exchange. They were trying to run the market on frozen OJ, remember that? <laughs> Waiting for the ag report, the crop report. 
<laughs> was it Mr. Brinks or Biggs, whatever his name was, he guy with a trench coat and a hat with a briefcase. They swapped the briefcase. What a great movie that was. Eddie Murphy, Don Amici. That was great. Anyhow, that, that's what it looked like. And there's still some degree of that, but for the most part, it's instant, it's electronic, it's global. And we've all benefited from that. So folks like Jeremy, they're not stockbrokers, they're wealth managers. And it, so it's, it's evolved that industry. It's almost like a metamorphosis. They, turned, they went from being just stockbrokers to wealth managers. But it, when first that started happening, I think there were a lot of folks that had a bit of a doom and gloom outlook on it. Oh my gosh, you're going to kill the stockbroker industry. No, we created a whole new industry is what happened. And, and that's what you see over and over again. That's why we cannot suppress the human brain. And that's why I get concerned about an oppressive overextending government that impedes human innovation and human brain power, the greatest asset God gave man, the ability to reason and think and solve their own human problems. That's just a tiny example of that, off on a bit of a tangent there, I know, but but nonetheless, it's, it's really pretty cool how that industry Clarence Beeks, thank you. I knew it started with a B. That was the um, that was the person <laughs> that uh, was paid to go swap the crop report undercover, so to speak. Yeah, that was pretty neat. What was the family's name? Was it Mortimer or something like that? The uh, two brothers that uh, had to bet. <laughs> Randolph and Mortimer Duke. Duke, the Dukes. I knew some there was a Mortimer in there. Duke and Duke commodity Duke brokers. And Duke commodity, that's right. And how great was Eddie Murphy? In, uh, I mean, they were all great, right? In their in their portrayal of their characters, but Eddie Murphy was. If you was. need somebody to spit out jargon or lingo at an alarming speed, Dan Aykroyd is your man. That's exactly right. He does that better than anybody. <laughs> and he was uh, he was sort of the the wealthier, typical blue blood elitist type. <laughs> and they let him go hard, hard Eddie Murphy off the street essentially, just so they could conduct their own little experiment. <laughs> the, the payoff was a dollar. <laughs> you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then they're all on the the um, island somewhere in the Caribbean at the end. Oh, gosh. Pretty cool. Uh, let's see what else we got. Bad for retirees on the ceasefire text line. I, what are you talking about exactly there on the ceasefire text line? Certainly when you see your 401k plans going down, in value. I know that ain't no fun when you're about at the finish line and you're worried about that and you've seen an erosion of the your nest egg. No doubt about it. And I think it was unfortunately, I think it was avoidable. It all got started when we when we proceeded to drop money out of helicopters all over the country and and who could 
dare forget all the smart folks telling us, no, it's transitory. We don't have any risk of inflation. Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, the economic advisor whose name I can't recall, and Joe Biden himself. It's transitory. And Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary. We need a montage of that. It'd probably be 20 minutes, right, of all the people that were parroting that transitory garbage. And, and any clear-thinking person knew you can't drop money out of helicopters to the tune of trillions and not expect inflation. All in the name of COVID. But that's exactly where we are today. No doubt about it. William and Greenville says, and with equity now, we have to hire these dopes. That's true. You're right about that. It's all based on what you are instead of who you are, as we've said. Speaking of which, what about the luggage klepto? Was there some more of that going on, I believe? I, is it you that said, I think they're doing it to outfit their wardrobe? Was it you? Somebody told me that as, an, as a theory. Uh, I mean, that's been a theory that's been going around on social media, because how else do you explain you're already in hot water for stealing luggage at an airport in Minneapolis that wasn't yours? Got on the plane without luggage, then felt the need to go to the baggage carousel and grab one that was a designer bag off and walk away. And now they've got another felony warrant, felony arrest warrant out because there's there's video evidence of them with two bags at the Las Vegas airport. Seventeen hundred dollars of jewelry and other items in the second theft. It does pretty much affirm you're a klepto. If you're doing it regularly, habitually, repeatedly, it's hard to... I think to... kleptomania is about third or fourth on the list of mental disorders that person has. That would probably be true. I think you're right about that. What about, uh, have you seen this one? Pete Buttigieg, Mr. Climate Change. Mr. Bridges are racist. <laughs> He's jetting around on a private plane. You can't make it up, can you? There's flight records. <laughs> Mr. Transportation Secretary, a staunch advocate of increased government control so as to reduce carbon emissions, he's taken at least 18 flights on taxpayer-funded private jets. That's why you can't take them seriously. Rules for thee, but not for me. It's, it's so disgusting. He's traveled across the country. He's been to Florida, Ohio, New Hampshire, several other states, using private a private jet fleet that's managed by the Federal Aviation Administration. And you know what they don't think about is this is all recorded and accessible. Coming right back, final segment on Midday. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. You seen a picture of him lately, Bruce Springsteen? Not lately. 
He looks like Woody Allen. He's wearing the same style glasses, frames, and his hair's colored. It just, just looks like Woody Allen. not someone I would imitate. <laughs> On the ceasefire text line, as a Delta State graduate, we are all with you and your family, Coach Leach. Appreciate that. Ben from Madison points out that there's been some big news in fusion technology, something you and I, Rhino, have discussed and called for numerous times. Yeah, was it out in California where they finally had a breakthrough in the fact that they used less energy to create the fusion reaction than was produced by the fusion reaction? And that's been the pursuit for some time. Looks like they figured that out. So we're talking about unlimited supply of energy with no carbon emissions. Let's get on it. Chop, chop. They'll figure out some reason. They don't want us to have energy, I think, sometimes. Really. Some idiot I saw a couple of weeks ago is calling for... I mean, there's been depopulation nuts out there for a long time. I don't even consider that a conspiracy theory. They're wide out in the open. I mean, they've made it very clear... That we just and they gotta, make about as much sense as the flat earthers. <laughs> we got to depopulate the planet to save it. For what? For who? Makes no sense. Yeah, it is, though, Ben. Thanks for uh, pointing that out. I, I read that. I caught that over the weekend as well. Seriously, we <laughs> why aren't we focused on this technology even more as a solution? And again, it's not something that you can install and connect to tomorrow. But in good time, it should be part of the overall energy matrix. No doubt. It's because the physics don't care about intersectionality. you got to be brilliant to figure it out. doesn't matter what <laughs> check marks you put on the boxes. Oh, okay. So you mean it's not about what you are? but rather about the value you create, that'd be the who you are? Gee whiz. Mm-mm-mm. Let's see. Also on the ceasefire text line, uh, what is David and Baldwin saying? Oh, yeah, rigged elections. You know, i I, I got to tell you guys, we can either just dwell on admiring this idea of rigged elections, or we can take heed to... I think what's happening in this country where there are a lot of folks, that especially in the younger generations, the Gen Zs, etc., that are just left-leaning, having been indoctrinated virtually their entire lives. Yeah, so I, I think it's a mistake to just continue to attribute every single election loss. It was rigged. We're going to keep getting our butts beat. It's the laziest possible response. It's also a mistake to assume that everybody thinks like you do, and we do. They don't. Shocking, I know. So does that mean we should just dismiss the idea of any sort of election integrity issues? No. But I'm not buying that it's so wide. If it's that widespread, then why do we win the House? Why did the Republicans win the House? Why did Brian Kemp win in Georgia over Stacey Abrams, the, the queen of get out the vote? But Herschel Walker didn't. I mean, we could just go down that, that uh, rabbit hole over and over. Before we get out of here, I just want to pass on. It's On this day, four years ago, is when 
I signed a definitive agreement to sell my company uh, and announced that, and it went, of course, made the public wires, because we sold to a public company four years ago to this day, four years ago, when that uh, went into effect, became a reality. The transaction then closed about a month later in, uh, in January of 2019. Man, where's the time gone? Four years. But I am grateful for this opportunity and to be part of the Supertalk family. Uh, it's uh, very unfortunate circumstances, of course, with the passing of the great J.T. Williamson that, that led to this. And I can only say, Rhino, I hope he's in heaven smiling, looking down, and pleased with what he sees to carry on his legacy of excellence and a fantastic voice uh, for the state of Mississippi. You never know where life leads you. There's no doubt about that. But uh, it's four years ago that popped up in my memory. And my wife says, you know, put a, put a bow on that and move forward. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And she's absolutely right about that. I certainly miss the people. I miss the company. I miss the industry. But got to move on and just take some degree of satisfaction and I think having a pretty good run there. We're out of time here. We're out of time. Uh, and it's a Monday on middays. So the third hour coming up now after the break will be Ricky Matthews and Super Talk Outdoors. We hope you stay tuned for that. We're back here in the Element Well Studios tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Talk Mississippi Media Production.